You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Do you remember those halcyon days back in January, when every ray of sunshine felt like a warm hug from a celestial being? But now spring is here, and the tables are about to turn. The sun now stalks us like an enormous toddler with a magnifying glass. The burning orb, the Death Star, call it what you will. Just don't be caught out at noon on some edgy crimp fest, lest your feet swell and your tips shred. But Black Diamond has a way to fight back. My favorite piece of BD apparel, the Alpenglow hoodie. Built with UPF sun protection, pits for movement, and a hood designed to go under or over your helmet, and even some sort of odor control next-gen tech to help with that sour fear stink we all work up on the NAR. Or is that just me? Is that a thing with everybody? Man, do I reek after being scared. But frankly, if you aren't basically living in a sun hoodie 24-7 in the summertime, you may in fact be an iguana, but at least now your tongue can go from 0 to 60 in one one-hundredth of a second. So don't just feel the burn, fight the burn. And check out the Alpenglow hoodie and all the great head-to-toe, summer, winter, go-up, go-down, nighttime, daytime, whatever-time gear at BlackDiamondEquipment.com or your favorite local shop. Does your partner suffer from try-it-again syndrome? Or one hangitis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain, a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BNP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs. And when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old track runners rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with belay specs. It is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after five too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to belayer neck pain. Listen, uh, uh, where you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed playing with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show.
Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is May 31st, 2021. It's about 10 o'clock here in Colorado, and this is episode 221 of the EnormaCast. And on today's show, Lore Sabrin. I first noticed Lore because they climbed a 514 trad route, and that's still something of note and something of interest, you know, versus 514 sport routes that get sent on the reg at your local crag. It's still a bit of a rare thing for anyone to climb on 514 Trad because, frankly, there just aren't that many of them. And some of them you have to find in the middle of big walls. So that was interesting. And then Laura was presented by media as the first non-binary climber to climb 514 Trad. And, you know, that's a lot of qualifiers and something that Laura is a bit ambivalent about, as we'll find out in the interview. But I'm going to be honest. I kind of thought I knew exactly what non-binary meant. I had a vague idea, but once this got booked, I made sure I knew what we were talking about when it comes to a non-binary gender. Do you know what it means? Well, if you're a little vague about it too, it's a good thing you're here. And this issue, or at least the issue of trans people, and especially trans kids, has been on my mind lately. It's been in the subject of many of the podcasts I listen to. It is now the right's new boogeyman, pun intended, I guess, on man. But yeah, since they've mostly lost their battles, at least legally, against gay people and, and rights for gay people, they've switched over to this new one, this new you know, thing that they think can scare the ignoramuses. But I hope that we as a climbing community reject that fear. I think I've used this before, but to paraphrase Edward R. Murrow's dissent against McCarthyism, though I've seen this quote being used by the right to defend their xenophobia, but I believe that McCarthyism has more in common than disparate with Trumpism. So I'm going to take the quote back here. We will not walk in fear of one another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. If we dig deep in our history, our climbing history, and our climbing doctrine, we can remember that we are not descended from fearful people. And here's the deal. When we sat down Lore expressed ambivalence or not wanting to just make this a podcast about their gender, about what it means to be non-binary and, and all those sorts of things, sort of a one-on-one class and all of that. So what we really did here is we got to know each other and we talked a lot about Lore's climbing, but then we started to talk about what it meant to be a climber who wasn't clear on who they were for much of their climbing career, wasn't clear on where they fit in, wasn't clear on how their body should feel, and someone who progressed through that and is progressing through that and becoming what they are, what they truly are. And in the end, Laura is an excellent and brilliant climber. And it was fun to talk about that too. I've tried just about everything to get you to drop some serious cash on high-end Sportiva climbing shoes, short of coming to your house and shoving your gnarled feet in them myself while you whimpered and giggled in equal measure. You gigglers know who you are. But obviously, a big part of the enormination does not want or need to drop serious coin on a terrain-specific shoe. You want something reliable, comfortable, and reasonably priced. So Sportiva's new additions are calling to you, my fair climber friends. 
The new Aragon is an all-day shoe that doesn't sacrifice performance and can slide on your footsies or into your shoe quiver for less than 100 bones. And the Zenit, no, Zenit, rhymes with send it, is an intermediate shoe that can point you towards harder, steeper boulders and sport climbs. Both have no lace closures, something I've come to love on my Otakis, and are designed to be resold easily to save you even more money in the long run. So if comfort and fun is more appealing to you than downturn and pain, check out the new Aragon or Zenit at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. So you told me this quick little thing today that piqued my interest. Something about being from Michigan mm-hmm. and going to the creek and some other places with the crew when you were like not very old no so i didn't go with them so i climbed at the gym and then i had this group of friends that were all in their 20s oh, okay and they would go and work in yosemite in the summers and then they'd on their way back they'd always climb in the creek and stuff and they would come back and it was like the big return of the real rock climbers oh, okay yeah and so then i was like i want to be like them okay yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i got confused or i was like okay and you said i think you were like 13 or something yeah i was probably like 13, 13 14 uh-huh. and i mean yeah we'd we'd do like a send-off party for them before they left and then yeah it was just like the most like psych infiltration when they came back we'd go upstairs we had this giant wooden crack machine and they would be like okay we're gonna teach you how to crack climb now because like that's what you're gonna need to do when you go to yosemite uh-huh and that's was that were your that was your dreams and these 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 folks were sort of your inspiration to uh to eventually go out into the world as a climber yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I didn't really know what it meant. Right. You know, I, we used to go down to the Red River Gorge fairly often, but um, but yeah, I just had no concept, but I just knew it was really cool because they were really cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like 14 and they're 24 and you're like, like okay. Right. And yeah. Real, yeah, real climbers going to real climbing places. Yeah, Michigan. totally. Where in Michigan? Uh, the Detroit area. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's where you grew up. Mm-hmm. How long did you live there? I lived there, I was born there, and I lived there until I was 18, Okay, and then I went to school in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Really? Yeah. Where, like, up... I went to Northern Michigan University, so I was in Marquette. Okay. Yeah, so, like, Michigan Ice Fest, that whole crew was kind of, they became, like, my second climbing family Uh um, when I left home, so that was really cool. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of, that's deep. I went to the, the Michigan Ice Festival. Oh, sweet. Some years ago, three now, maybe, or four. I don't know. Okay. We lost, it's hard to remember because you lo- lost the entire year to, to COVID. But yeah. But yeah, I guess it was like three years ago, which is, it was ironic because, of course, I don't really ice climb. Okay. And I haven't for a long time. And that's pretty well known on the show. Yeah. Um, But Bill, right? Bill? Yeah, yeah Thompson. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. He thought it was amusing to invite me. <laughs> That's so, awesome. For some reason. And, <laughs> and we so you went. went. Yeah, yeah. It was it was wild. Well, I also hail from uh, up uh, northern Wisconsin. Oh, sweet. So that's, was, yeah. Yeah, was, the UP is like more northern Wisconsin than anything. Yeah, right. We share the border there. Yeah. And uh, it's divided from the rest of Michigan by a lake. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, and my folks lived up there or live up there again now. We I moved when I was five. But so, yeah, I was able to fly in and and then grab a car and like drive up there but we also drove up there in this huge snowstorm so luckily i had a buddy with me um and then yeah and then it was just like it was a wild time it was an interesting interesting thing to dip into munising michigan on the the lake shore for for a minute yeah and and ice climb little tiny ice climbs (laughs) but i mean there i mean 
pers- when you think of it as like they're in Michigan, right? Some of them are big. Yeah, you yeah, know, no, for no, being, I know. Like, just... yeah. I mean, like compared to the rock climbing up there, right. you know, I was so stoked because it was the first time that I would ever had like local climbing that right. I could do. Like we had a this traverse boulder problem that I could ride to on my bike. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd like put my crash pad on my back and ride there on my bike, and I just. It was like the best thing in the world. I was like, I, I have local climbing now. Right on. You know, and I think, um, so when ice season came around, it was like, there's multi-pitch climbing in Michigan. You know, like my mind was blown, even though it was ice climbing. It was like when I got to kind of explore what it would mean to live near climbing and mm-hmm. um, maybe identify more as a climber. What brought you into the gym to begin with? It wasn't for a birthday party, but it right. was like my friend's birthday. I was going to actually say that. I was going to yeah. be like, oh, it was a birthday party. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, pretty much right. it was like my friend's birthday. Her mom was like, yeah, you and a friend can go to the climbing gym. And so we went and she was super psyched. And I thought that the community was really cool. I just like enjoyed being there and like di- didn't really spend a lot of time outside as a kid. Right. But I had just gotten back. Um, for my aunt's 50th birthday, she and three of her friends went wanted to go up on a canoeing trip to the Boundary Waters because mm-hmm. they used to do that in their 20s. And her friend had a 12-year-old daughter, and so they invited me along so they'd be another kid. And it was really my first time like getting to be outside for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and like went to the climbing gym. Like All of these people do things like that. So I think then my friend joined. They had like a kid's climbing night. And it was mostly for, you know, kind of four to eight year old range. And we were like 12, 13, but they let us go. And it was like pretty cheap to climb. And we just kind of like hit it off with the staff. And right. I just started hanging out there all the time. Right. Yeah. So it's like, a, I, it, it's kind of a story um, that's interesting where, where it becomes like this hangout. And like, yeah. I think a lot of climbers who started as kids, but really got into it became like, uh, you know, I don't want to sort of belittle it by saying sort of mascot level or something like that but it's like there's this kid who's around and who's stoked and like yeah laura's around let's like teach them the ropes or literally or whatever you know what i mean was it kind of like that yeah i was very much mascot level right like definitely had like like people at the gym that i would just follow around and like you know but i mean it was sweet you know because i i I was having a hard time at school and like i'd come in i had what this one friend ron who he would always be hanging out in the bouldering cave and I'd walk in like with my school backpack on and he'd be like, so what was the most awkward thing that happened to you in middle school today? And I'd tell him and he would just crack up and like, and then I would crack up and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that was funny. Right. You know, it wasn't like the end of the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, shit, middle school's brutal, right? Middle school's brutal. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's cool because I think that's also sort of a theme I've heard is that, you know, and, and people listening to the show have heard is this like, you know, either if it's not, you know, painful, it's at the very least a detachment from what's going on there, you know, and, and for some people it's painful, you know, or it's, and so, because I, I've always felt like, um, you know, the tradition of climbing is allowing sort of outsiders to come in and to be themselves. You may be able to tell me stories to contradict that, so. I could probably find stories in both directions, right? <laughs> right, right like, on. like I could definitely find stories to support that, and like, yeah, of course, there's stories that like don't line up with that. But right, well, let's get there later because yeah. we're still at the gym where you felt accepted, yeah, and you had a good time, yeah. And was it Ron? Yeah, Ron. Ron in the bowling cave, yeah, uh, let you blow off some steam when you showed up, yeah. 
and and talk a little bit about what had gone well and what had gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly what had gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We were mostly <laughs> there. For, was going well. Anyway. I mean, and so it was like, it. <laughs> yeah, mostly there for like comedic relief. It right was on. just like, let's just jump to that. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So now you're thinking about be, being this climber and, and going out into the greater world and that didn't happen till you started going to the red or how was it that you graduated into from mascot level in the gym to mascot level on a red, red trip (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah we would just start actually my mom my mom's like a fairy godmother she's amazing there was one time i competed a little bit as a kid like i competed super recreationally and we had gone to a climbing competition that was down near kentucky and i won a rope and she was like I went to the red one time when I was a teenager and like had this epic hike where we got lost and we like ended up on the other side of the red and then we had to hitchhike back to our cars and she's like, it'd be sweet to go back down there and check it out. And so we went down there with a rope and I think I had like a couple of quick draws or something, but we had no clue what we were doing. And she was like, yeah, let's just see if we can, you know, see what this rock climbing thing's about. Mm -hmm. And we got down there and I like bouldered some things and we most and then we did the same hike that she had done as a teenager and we did the exact same thing and we like ended up on the other side of the gorge and like hitchhiked with my mom back to our car which was pretty cool yeah um but then from there we ended up like hooking up with some people from the gym and stuff and she would drive us down there like she'd just go she had a super high stress job and like was just um like she just loved she was like i just get to unplug when i go with y'all mm-hmm. and she had like not really had a lot of opportunities to leave detroit as a kid um or to play and like we would always joke that like she and i learned to play together all right <laughs> and um and yeah my other sibling and and like my other i grew up in kind of like this big extendo family okay all my aunts and uncles and were really close with us and so, like, she was able to just kind of take off, and every once in a while, another friend from the gym would come. It's funny you say that, because I, I actually lived in Cincinnati mm-hmm. when I was a little kid, like, I don't know, kindergarten to third grade or so. And we went, my dad and my brother and I went on a camping trip to the Red, and, you know, this would have been, like, long before there was bolted climbing there. Uh, maybe any climbing, but or maybe just the earliest, earliest people scrubbing around on cracks down there. But the funny thing is, is like, I mostly hated it, you know? Like, I mostly hated camping. I mostly hated mosquitoes. I mostly hated, like, everything about it. We also went to Yellowstone once, and I also hated that. So, but my parents, like, never miss a chance to remind me now how much I hated all that stuff. So it's kind of fun. It's like cool that you, you know, you clicked with it right away because I had a, I had a sort of graduation period into enjoying the outdoors that took a while. I was really into, like, I love tracking. Like I, like I would go even like in the city, I had a friend that we'd like go get, there's the the Rouge River that runs through the Detroit area. That's like kind of gnarly like there's a lot of trash and like Mm -hmm. not things that you'd want to be rolling around in but we'd go down there and like cover ourselves in mud so that we were all camoed (laughs) and then we'd like crawl around like thinking we were like we want to touch a deer this summer like that was our goal and i just remember one time this was a climbing friend and we like got to the gym after doing something Mm -hmm. like that and they're like you're not allowed to come in they just like hosed (laughs) us off before we could go in um toxic detroit mud totally (laughs) But I was just, you know, I, yeah, I just liked, like, 
being outside playing and i think that transferred into climbing really easily right yeah but it i think that started it definitely was still later for me that was like once i was more of a teenager right. like when i was younger i played a lot of organized sports and just like the I, stuff yeah 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 what's well, that's pretty wild too because like were you um let me ask you this we may not keep this in here but were you into tom brown yes <laughs> i knew it yeah. you said touch a deer oh totally yeah so i they so i was me too yeah me too totally dude. oh yeah yeah so i had a friend that was like really into tom brown but i as a kid i went to like the camp at children of the earth foundation which is like his oh really yeah it's like an adjunct to the Lucky. school yeah it was sweet um <laughs> But then I interned there as like an older teenager. So I like kind of, yeah, we got to like teach. That's awesome. But yeah. Also like a little, like, I think I was sheltered from like the problematic parts, right? Oh, uh, what, uh, what are you going to blow my Tom Brown? No, I'm not going to blow okay, it. Okay. No, People no, can I'm do sure their own was, research. Yeah, yeah. He, no, I'm sure. He, I don't know enough about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Children of the Earth Foundation was probably like, like sick. There was probably all the whole thing was probably all made up. <laughs> <laughs> But well, nevertheless, yeah, it was sweet. And like, you know, everyone there, like there were a bunch of climbers there, but like it was all the type of climbers that like climb barefoot right. and like are just like soul climbers, mm -hmm. which was cool for me to be exposed right, to right. as well. No, I went through a, when you said tracking and then you said the touch a deer thing. I was like, oh, my God, because I, I, I went through that phase, too. I was like, and it's a weird because I was in a suburban place. Yeah. Not a total city, but still. Gosh, it was probably by, I was probably into it by like seventh or eighth grade, maybe even freshman year. Whatever reason, I was um, prescient enough to understand that I needed to hide this from other people. That the these this penchant for going out into the woods and gathering like uh, herbs and things and, and whatnot. Like in a high school, in a suburban high school setting, like totally. you don't let that everyone know about that so i had this like sort of secret life where i would i would go out and, and try to start a fire with two sticks and all that sort of stuff but not tell anybody i had a couple friends it was yeah. like but we, you know this is what we do in our like private time totally yeah i definitely was yeah i i mean i just wasn't like super social in high right, school right. but i think like i was on the cross-country team and i probably talked about it with I, I actually, like, I remember there was one thing I had gotten, I think from one of Tom Brown's books, where, like, they would run with water in their mouths. And I remember, like, one time we were doing, like, mile repeats, and I was trying to do them with water in my mouth, and my coach got so mad. Like, and, like, all the, it was just, that was one time when it, like, came out, and right. I was like, yeah, you have it's to like, kind of, like, doing? Well, be a I, little more discreet. I read this book about this kid who... <laughs> Learned from what was it Apache supposedly or yeah I can't remember that was probably all made up is what I'm probably gathering from you now. Um. Anyway, I mean, how could it not be? But anyhow, who cares? I'm sorry that I'm yeah. No, I just remember too that um, there was like something about how they could like submerge themselves in ice cold water and stay warm. Yeah, and that seemed like really dangerous thing. To, yeah, for to tell a kid to probably go try pretty to do. dangerous yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like <laughs> there, definitely there was a lot of cultural appropriation in there that needs to be examined. Mm -hmm. But also, there's like a funny story there of a lot of like kids connecting on it, but like feel you know like the fact that both of us were like, oh, this is so rad. Yeah, as a little kid. Well, yeah, as a little yeah. kid. I mean, 
Like, oh, your grandpa was, oh my God, I, yeah. my grandpa sucks. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> although my grandpa was all right, both of them. Um, but comparatively, <laughs> I was like, why didn't I get that grandpa? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. That, that, that we're on this whole Tom Brown kick. Um, but yeah, it was, we were, you know, on the other side of a lake, although you're, you're younger than I am, but yeah, on the same program, <laughs> digging around in the woods, like the one piece of woods totally. that I could find yeah, near I'm- my house. There was actually this lot behind the climbing gym uh-huh. that was like, there was an electrical plant, I think is what it was. Never really understood like what was going on back there, but there was a lot attached to it, kind of like the surrounding mm-hmm. area. And we'd go back there all the time and like try and figure out what animals were back there. And like, if we found coyote scat, we were like, our minds oh, yeah. were blown. Yeah. <laughs> Spent so many hours back there. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Don't tell your... Your acquaintances that you're out there playing with poop. Yeah. But you would be stoked. Like, I, I don't know. Let's look in the book. Like, which one is this? What totally. Is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, well, luckily, what has he been like, eating? yeah. And I <laughs> like actually a mouse yeah, bone. had this, like, by the time I was like later in high school, I had a whole crew of at the climbing gym of like friends my right, age. Right. And like, it was funny that you were saying that because there were like definitely a couple of my friends that were super psyched on that. Mm. And then there were a couple of kids that were just like, would always just be like those goobers, like yeah. what's going on with them. And so it was like kind of this joke in our friend group of like certain of us that like wanted to take apart poop and certain people that were like wanted to like make fun of people taking apart poop <laughs> but i had a whole journal that i would like take it apart in and draw it and oh, stuff yeah. oh yeah <laughs> it's so funny talking about it now because it seemed like so rad and important at the oh, time yeah. and now you're just like you were out there like in a vacant lot like poking <laughs> sticks and what who knows like you thought it was coyote, who knows? Someone's dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's coyote. It has to be. <laughs> oh god. Anyway. Um well anyway, moving on from our Tom Tom Brown moment. It sounds like I mean, did you have a lot of freedom? As a kid? Yeah, as a kid. Yeah. I would, I think so. Yeah. My parents were pretty chill and like I mean, there was a lot of pushback. Like, I remember I really wanted to be allowed to just, like, go sleep out in the woods, but, like, in the, you know, like, the quote-unquote woods, like, in, in ur- like, kind of urban suburb area. And I remember that being, like, a big argument with my parents of they're like, no, yeah. you can't, like, you can't just go live out there. Right. And, um... Reasonable. There were reasonable yeah. boundaries, <laughs> yeah. But as far as, like, yeah, I definitely... It's so unfair. <laughs> it's so unfair. Or, like, my sister and I were just reflecting on this. It was this... I loved riding my bike just because I could get places without um, needing to get rides. And I really... So, in Detroit, we basically were locked in between, like, Woodward and Telegraph, which are these ridiculous... They're highways. They're not free, like, expressways. So... You know, they're separated by, like, a median and there's lights. But they're, like, five-lane roads, essentially, where the speed limit's, like, 50, 55. Mm -hmm. And people just, like, I mean, they shoot down. Like, they'll go, like, 70 on these roads that are not actually expressways. Right. And I always just, like, didn't understand why my parents didn't want me to go, like, ride my bike down Woodward or Telegraph. I was like, but it's the most efficient way to get places. You know, I'm, like, nine years old. And they're like, no, you can't. You can't just, like, ride down Telegraph on your bike. Um, There's not even a bike lane. And so, like, things like that, I thought that they were really strict. But in retrospect, they were just, like, understood how the city worked and didn't want me. Yeah, totally. 
No, I yeah. mean, they didn't want me doing that stuff when I lived in the suburbs. Yeah. It was a totally different operation, yeah. you know? I mean, this was, yeah, it was like a suburb, yeah. like an like an urban, but it was like a suburb of Detroit. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I can picture it sort of like, yeah. like a sort of, you know, just adjacent urban kind of more yeah, setup. Like, we were, we were way out. Yeah. yeah. I actually had plenty of woods. Yeah. To play <laughs> That's in. fair. Um, truth <laughs> but, be told. Yeah, I think it definitely had like a fair amount of freedom, though. Yeah, yeah. Both of my parents are like... Like I joked, my mom would fit in super well in Sedona. She like does a lot of like energy healing mm-hmm. and is really into um, like crystals and alternative kind of ways of approaching life and and in in like the best way because she's also like a really awesome like um, has that like Midwest hospitality way of treating the world and just like very welcoming person um, and. You know, my dad lived in his van when he was younger, and, like, he'd, like, traveled all around the U.S., so I think both of them just had kind of a different, um, like, they, you know, they were strict in some ways, but they also, like, gave us our, our space to do our own thing. They were trying to keep you alive. Yeah. AKA strict. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, exactly. As a parent now, I understand this idea of, like, well, our main thing is they have to come home alive every yeah. day and get up in the morning and stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. funny. Cause I, I try to pull all that shit. I, the same thing. Like, why can't I just go and <laughs> totally. sleep, like down by the river in the, or whatever. I, I slept out. So I got a really nice sleeping bag on one. I think I was probably in eighth grade and I, so Christmas day, the night of Christmas day, I slept in the front yard <laughs> in our like suburban. Totally. And my mom was just like, yeah, I, I was like ready for like the police to show me be like, why is there this homeless person in your front yard in a sleeping bag? I mean, the context there though, right? Like they probably, yeah. Yeah. So they let me do it. I was out there in the damn front yard the whole night. Oh so, yeah. All mummified. I definitely got away with like sleeping on the back porch or maybe on the roof. I can't remember whether the roof one got right. squashed because it wasn't totally level. So, so let me ask you this. Let's get back to climbing now that we've spent a good solid chunk on that stuff. You know, for me, and and we'll see if this sort of parallels as well, is that, you know, I got into backpacking and, and I actually used to hang out in the Bondi Waters that you mentioned earlier, um, your aunt's trip up to there. But then, like, climbing just, like, clicked in and took over and it fed a lot of the same impulses of sort of exploration and adventure. And it just like, I was like, okay, now this seems like for real wild and, and, and wooly and like what I've kind of been looking for. Like, how did it fit in for you as far as supplanting some of that stuff you were doing in high school and then you wanting to go, you know, to college somewhere there was a, a rock to climb. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it definitely fulfilled that side of things, but I think the other thing, I was a pretty serious athlete as a runner, and I think climbing kind of filled that side of it too, of like, I found I was really psyched on the athletic side of climbing, and then I could see how the two like combined, so I could be outside and this kind of exploratory adventure side, and then could also pursue it as a sport. And then that really clicked. I had a pretty intensive hip surgery my senior year. And it just like completely took me out of running for a few years. But I could get back to climbing pretty quickly. Like I was able to climb probably maybe five months out Mm -hmm. from it, which 
it was one of the first activities I could do again. And I think at that point, I kind of, like, I switched my psych for, like, athletics from running to, like, focusing more on climbing Mm -hmm. from an athletic side. And then when I moved up to the UP and, like, could combine the two and climbing in the UP is just inherently pretty adventurous because there's not much of it. And, you know, so right away I was, like, getting to go with friends and develop roots and just, like, explore little micro crags that people didn't really know about. And that side of it was really cool for me, too. It's, like, just to be able to combine that psych. So we talked about middle school being rough. Like, did did the athletics or the sports allow you to, you know, sort of, like, find a place? It definitely let me... I had a space to, like, make some friends that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I, like, it made me feel, like, totally safe at school, but it definitely, it gave me something to, like, look forward to, and I had, you know, I I was on a relay team and track, and we were all close, and and there were a couple of kids, like, by the time kind of my sophomore, junior year came around, I had a couple really close friends in school. We're, We're kind of, like, dancing around it, but, you know... We're we're talking about being uncomfortable in school, but we're talk, not talking about why that is. So, like I, I think I like I think you're like leading towards I was uncomfortable at school because of my gender identity right. because I'm very like I mean at this point I'm very visibly queer right. and non-binary, but at the time like knew that information about myself and didn't feel comfortable sharing right. it, and I think that was a part of it. I think because of that, I just felt like very awkward around like being in my body and like being able to like like I felt like I was getting all of these different cues about how to be like how to fit in and I was like oh shit like I cannot figure out how to like work out that role maybe I'll like try this other role and like it just was um you know you're getting so many cues about how to be like how to become a human but specifically around gender at that age like it's very much like the boys are over here and the girls are over here and if you don't fit into one of those groups you're i mean it's hard enough if you do you have to like put on all of these costumes and try and like prove that you're like the best version of one of those two things when you're not either of them you're just like totally out to swim right you know it's like okay i'm not gonna be able to even start did that lead to any real trouble for you? I mean, as far as like, uh, you know, were you able to kind of keep your grades up and, and do what you need to do to get through school? Well, I was like a total perfectionist, okay. which, is, which is problematic in a lot of ways, right? It's actually something that I, in my adult life I've like looked at because I guess the best way of saying it is you can like play to these play to these ways that people will accept you, which is like being a straight-A student or being, like, an all-star athlete or something. And most of the time, that's playing to the privileges that you have. So, like, someone that couldn't do those things Mm -hmm. but was also queer, like, if I'm saying, like, this is the way I'm finding acceptance, then I, like, automatically exclude them. Sure. So I've had to pick it apart. But I was a total... Yeah, I was a perfectionist as a a kid and, like, you know, had four-point and was, like the vice president of the national honor society and was but actually my senior year like when i had that hip surgery and i also had like a really like the year before my senior year um was like assaulted by someone who then like like basically like wrapped a lot of that up around my gender identity and so like senior year for me was just like i kind of just like didn't 
perform anymore. Right. <laughs> like I was in survival mode. Um, well, and you're and you're like you had your athletics that you couldn't do that. Yeah. You had had climbing that had you know at least temporarily was gone for you. So it. I mean, aside from from what you just said, it's like a miserable yeah sort of existence were you nervous or or excited to go to college then to get and 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 why did you pick pick going up to the up so i had always intended to pay for my own school Mm -hmm. um and i had planned to do that through running and i couldn't at that point right like i wasn't going to get on a running scholarship and so i used to eat lunch in the physics room my physics teacher was like a total amazing, just like superhuman. And she would, she actually, like when I had my hip surgery, she came to my house like once a week and like not only taught me physics, but also like taught me calculus and would like make sure that all my other schoolwork was on top. Like she like kept me very honest with my schoolwork that mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So I'm hanging out and she's like, hey, there's this scholarship competition. You have to go up to Marquette. And um, I was like, I, I hadn't even really heard of Marquette before. I had one friend that had gone to Northern, um, <laughs> but he kind of like in in my mind, he was like, like, I think he went for like a year and then he dropped out. He wasn't really like someone that would that wanted to go to college. So I just didn't have it on my radar somewhere that you could go. And like, but she was like, you should just go apply for this. Like she knew I was kind of feeling a little desperate. And so went up there and it was it was September or October, maybe. I was still on crutches for my surgery. It was the fall, so it was like wasn't um it wasn't winter yet, essentially. So like I never went up there in the winter before I and so I went up and I'm like Yeah, I'm like it's sixty and like it's beautiful up here and like you can be outside all the time Mm -hmm. and um did the scholarship competition and like ended up getting a full ride and that just made it. It was this really hilarious scholarship too. It was like it was based on your standardized test scores and grades. But also, it was like this leadership competition. Mm-hmm. So we were all put in rooms together and then given these like games to play and like problem solving tasks and they evaluated your leadership skills. So I guess I was I was a good enough leader to get to win <laughs> a leadership awesome. competition. Well, I mean, I, we keep talking about this place, the UP. I don't yeah. even think we Upper Peninsula. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's worldwide listeners. So it's this it's this chunk of Michigan that's stuck to the top of Wisconsin, bordering some lakes, a lot of lakes. Yeah, the Superior on one side, Lake Michigan on the other side, and it's connected to Michigan by a great big bridge. And Canada's in there somewhere. Well, they're on the other side of the lake. It's like, yeah, yeah. Canada's like scooping around. Yeah. The upper so it's like the well. middle of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, I think Americans who know about it even are like, well, shoot. I mean, it's it's a it's even it's its own place, like the Upers and the the UP. Yeah. And um, you know, the reason I ask that is because it's like I think it might be a place where if you were growing up queer, like you said, it would be a in a lot of people's minds a place to avoid, but. It sounds like it was it had enough for you to uh to be successful there. Does that sound right? Yeah, Marquette's kind of a bubble. Okay. Like in the UP, there's definitely like Marquette ten has pulled in because of the university and it tends to pull in a lot of people that are like there's a really big art scene and music oh, okay. scene there and so it's I mean, really it's a university anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. It's definitely a different leaving the UP and even one of my best friends from high school, um, from like climbing in high school, went right. to Michigan Tech, which is in Houghton. 
and Houghton's way more of what you would think of as like more traditional UP, like um, pretty conservative. But Marquette had a lot of my um, my college roommate called them lumberjack lesbians. <laughs> like I don't really know how to describe that in any other way. But um, there were definitely like other it paints a picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there were other queer people up there. Right, right. Um, but I think it would have been a really hard place to go if you were pretty effeminate and non-binary. Like that would right. be really hard. You're you're up there climbing, mm-hmm. and you're like eking out. Like, what is the climbing up there? Because I know it's like glacial country, and yeah. even where my folks are, there's like rocks around. Mm-hmm. Um, I have there's actually like you know you can find stuff on Mountain Project. These little scrubby boulders and stuff. And I've seen it up there on the border, too. So what's the climbing like up there? There's granite exposed. I know that much. Yeah, it's vol- like the stuff in Marquette's volcanic. Okay. I don't think I don't think it's vol- it's definitely. Yeah, it's not granite. It's like kind of like a black, maybe like a tuft or something. Right. But I'm I'm botching it. Like, I right. don't actually know what the rock is. I did a project on it my, in college, but, you know. That was a while ago. You just flush that. Yeah, totally. Like yeah. you let go of the information right. that you don't need. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of like in cut edges and climbs pretty similar to maybe basalt climbing. Mm-hmm. There's stuff right around Marquette that's pretty cool. You know, there's some stuff that's right on the shore mm-hmm. of Lake Superior where you have to wrap in and climb out kind of similar to like the North Shore in Minnesota. Right. Um, and then there's also some crags maybe an hour or two outside of Marquette that have like three pitch climbs and you know, just it's like kind of slabby or vert. Right. Like, I mean, nothing exceptional, but it is exceptional because it's in the middle of Michigan, right? you know, which is not somewhere that's known for rock climbing. I'd say the major catch is that it's like a nine month ice season right. and like a three month, you know, I, I have a memory of um for it was my friend's graduation day. So it was like beginning of probably like middle of May or beginning of June even. And we cross country skied out to do like this one single pitch rock climb that we thought might be dry. And it was like pretty it was seeping and there was like three feet of snow on the ground and we tried to climb it anyway. And like he ended up cl- rock climbing in his mountaineering boots. And like, yeah, it took a big whip because of that. But Sounds like a right adventure, though. Yeah, like yeah. it was always an adventure. Right. So when did you sort of think, like, gosh, I'm I'm pretty good at this. I'm, uh, you know, and not not to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the best, but just you know, I remember when I started started to feel like, yeah, I can do. Not necessarily I'm good at this compared to other people, but I can do this. Like, this is my thing. Did that that had happened earlier, or um, you know, when was it like, oh, this is kind of looking like my life. Maybe. Because it's your life now. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, I was like, oh, I haven't had that moment yet, Chris. But, um, but I mean, when I like you better did... have it soon because <laughs> you're pretty much it's what you're doing now. <laughs> I think that like, so my freshman year of college, someone came up to teach a single pitch instructor course mm-hmm. at the university. And I had become friends with all the local climbers, like kind of a group of guys. And I think, you know, like. 30 to 50 range and they kind of again like maybe similar to when I was 14 and all the 24 year olds but they kind of like took me under their wing a little bit and let me start climbing at their home walls and so they convinced me to sign up because they needed another person and so then I ended up like taking the guide course and I thought it was really cool and then went 
down to Kentucky and started guiding in the summers. Okay. And I think at that point, at first I thought I wanted to go to Kentucky because I was interested in maybe going to med school. And I was like, oh, I'll be on this. They have a search and rescue team that's actually like kind of cool. They do high angle stuff a lot. And so I volunteered for that. And I thought that would be my main thing. And then I just guide to support myself while I was down there. And then I ended up kind of hating search and rescue because it's kind of brutal. And yeah, it just and it's boring and brutal at the same time. And then loved guiding, like just absolutely loved being able to educate and also being able to work in climbing and like share this thing with people that I loved. And so I think at that point, like when I was living in Kentucky, that was when I almost dropped out of college and was just like, I'm just going to rock climb. But then made a kind of a pact with the person who owned the guide service, my friend Brian. He's like, okay, you have to go finish school. But if you finish school and you come back, we'll give you full-time work. So I went back up. That was my third year and just took a bajillion credits and like finished my degree and then went back down there. So that I think that was when I started to really see myself as um, as someone that could rock climb proficiently and, right. and be able to work in the industry. Yeah, and, and yeah. make a life of it. Yeah. Yeah. What did you graduate as? I switched my major from pre-med to it was outdoor recreation leadership and management okay, okay. and then took some classes in the exercise physiology mm-hmm. direction and so it ended up being a minor in biology i think but it was in i was studying like exercise phys stuff right. yeah yeah so it sort of fit in yeah to a certain extent totally yeah it's interesting that you mentioned you know i've kind of got three markers in my head of these people who who sort of like turned up at the moment and told you the right thing at the moment you know well i mean you started with your mom it sounds like that was you know a super important part of your life obviously although it's not an, an easy assumption all the time um especially with with uh queer kids you know but then you've got this this physics teacher you mentioned and then you've got this person who's like go back to college like, <laughs> you know you, you you need to do these things like um, do you feel lucky or, or, or is it just been that you've surrounded yourself occasionally with the, with the right people? I feel super lucky. And I think I also am a good listener. Like, I feel like most people probably do have those people in their lives, but it's really hard to listen. Right. I've always enjoyed listening, but I definitely feel like I've also been super lucky to just be surrounded by really awesome humans. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's just probably not all the time, but but it sounds like you, your story has these markers where where it happened at the right time and the yeah. right person sort of did what they needed to do. Yeah, I've had a huge support system. Yeah, yeah. that's super. A cool. lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people just like making sure I knew I was loved. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of climber? This is an old school Normacast question. So, like, what kind of climber are you now? Because you know, one of the things that just popped on the radar what a, two or three months ago was you know um climbing what is it called montana weed connection fist bump what, <laughs> what, what, what east coast fist bump east coast fist, I'm, I'm confusing it with the montana yeah, weed connection another, in, the, yeah. in the creek but yeah you know it's 514 uh gear root um you know so pretty rad and like that's not something that is even that common and definitely not a lot of people climb at that level on gear. What brought you like your, your, you know, essentially bolted climbing probably in the red. So yeah, talk about what kind of climber you are and what motivates you to pursue something like that. And, you know, what was your journey from Kentucky then? 
that yeah. led to, you know, you now you live in flag and you climb all sorts of things. Yeah. So when I was in Kentucky, but I was guiding, right. And like, it was a big thing. I knew how to trad climb. Like I, I had learned in high school sure. from, um, like some friends and then had, um, actually like uh, my friend Elena Arends, she's a guide in the new river gorge. Mm-hmm. And I, at one point, like actually went out with her for a day just to make sure that I actually knew what I was doing um, when I was in high school. And then, so like became, started guiding just in like single pitch world and my coworkers and the kind of co-owners of the gym, they're like, well, you have to be able to climb 510 on gear to take your rock guide course. And like, mm-hmm. obviously you mm-hmm. want to take your rock guide course. I was like, well, yeah, of course I do. Um, and so that summer I was like, I'm going to start climbing 510 on gear. And I mean, I was climbing probably like 512 sport climbs at that time. So it was, but it was, I was epicking trying to get this like 510 on gear. Uh, I would always get super scared and take and like, I'm like, I'm going to send one clean this summer. I'm going to do it. And I, I think I did that summer. And then like the next summer after that, like, it's like, well, if I can climb 510, maybe I can climb 511. And then there was this one five, like 12A called Bloodline that, my friend and I went and like scrubbed because no one had climbed it. I think since like the first descent, <laughs> because it's right. a twelve eight gear line in Kentucky that's like a little heads up. And I had actually caught a friend on it two years before, and he had taken this giant whip in the crux and like flipped upside down, and almost like I barely kept him off the ground. So I had it in my head that it was super sketchy, but it turned out that he just like had gotten pumped and didn't get the cam in. Right. Um. And so did that that summer and then that was also i was starting to feel like okay maybe like maybe i can push it on gear like if i can climb 512 on gear you know that that could open things up and i was looking through the guidebook and i was like there are no 512s on gear here like there's like two or three more or Mm -hmm. i mean there's more than that but there was nothing with like stars in the guidebook (laughs) yeah i was not in i was not in a mecca of like hard gear climbing and so I had a friend who was guiding with me and he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to the Creek in the fall. Like you should, when we ro- when we wrap up, like the guide season, ironically in Kentucky is like busiest in June, July and August into September. And then it kind of rolls off. Right. Um, Cause it's mostly tourists. So, and then I had some college friends that were going to the Creek. So they all convinced me to roll out that way. And so I just like packed, up everything into my Subaru and like drove out there and um and ended up staying in the creek for a month and got super psyched on crack climbing because up to that point I didn't really actually crack climb that much because sure. everything on gear was more like cracks that had a bunch of face holds around them and then moved to Flagstaff where you know there's a ton of really awesome bouldering and a ton of really great trad climbing and like some sport climbing but not a ton mm-hmm. and that was when I think I really just started investing like all of my energy into trad climbing. So now I would say most of my hardest climbing is more than even gear climbing. Like my hardest climbing is crack climbing. Okay. Um, specifically, but I definitely still love doing all of the things. Yeah, I still love sport climbing. I go bouldering. I call myself a hobby boulderer. Well, how'd you end up in flag? So I was looking for a place to kind of settle for the winter because I was just still in my car and. I couldn't even like sleep in my car. I just had kind of like piled all of the things into it. So I needed somewhere to home base a little bit. And my friend from college, one of my roommates, had moved to Flag and was working at Snowball at the ski resort. And she is like, I could probably get you a job in the ski rental shop. And I 
had skied maybe like 10 times in my life. Like I didn't really know what I was doing, but she like got me a job there. And so I moved there just because there was somewhere to work. And I, she had friends and she like hooked me up. I was living in a laundry room in this house with like a bajillion people who worked for the conservation corps. And then a weekend I went to a yoga class and the yoga, the yoga center was owned by the same owner as the climbing gym. And we ended up like doing yoga next to each other. And then afterward he noticed I had a bunch of climbing stickers on my water bottle and we talked for like 10 minutes and he's like, Hey, you want to interview at the climbing gym? And then ended up interviewing like that week and then started working there. Okay. And then how long have you been down there? Seven years. Okay. A long yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So another um, question I always ask uh, when we're talking kind of about this arc, sort of story arc, is is when you know you also start you, you're you're guiding, um, when you also started kind of thinking about like, well, what if I sort of became, you know, if not a sponsored climber specifically, but like you know, a name, you know, like like, or did that happen sort of organically? In terms of like, how did you suddenly, you know, I can imagine you show up at the creek, you're just another, you know, doofus from Kentucky that shows up at the creek or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) and then where did that kind of start happening? This idea that, okay, well, I'm a guide, I'm a climber, it's my life. And then I have this opportunity to be um, sort of a public persona and climbing sponsored vocal advocate, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I put maybe there's two sides to that okay like one so i work now as like the training leader for the rock warriors way okay um or for the warriors way but most people know it as the rock warriors way (laughs) like became a trainer for them and was working really closely with arno and who owns the company and i think when i started teaching and specifically traveling to teach you know that's that's when i started like be like just um telling my stories about climbing Mm -hmm. because i realized that it influenced my ability to teach and like people's interest in learning um the material and just when they could see that i had a personal connection to it and they could read my stories about climbing then they could also connect to it and then i think also just flag is kind of a small town and so you know if you send a hard pitch there people know Right. You know, you like come into the gym later and everyone's like, no way you sent your project, you right. know, and it becomes so it's like every it's different from showing up at the creek or something and just climbing a thing. It's like if you send a hard line at the crag, it's not a secret. Right. right. You know, whoever saw it tells their friend and then they tell their friend. And and I think since I worked at the gym, I was just really visible. Mm-hmm. So I just became someone that was maybe a leader in that community that like allowed me to be a little bit more comfortable. Okay. And just, yeah. So when you said like, um, you know, telling your stories about climbing with your clients or whatever, what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, even just being on Instagram, you know, like I didn't have an Instagram before that. Right. right. Or like writing pieces for different things about my climbing or like being, being willing even to tell stories. Right. Cause I kind of like, I think before that I, like you weren't really in my mind, you know, in the UP, like you don't talk about your climbing. Sure. You know, that's not cool. And and I think my like Detroit friends too is like now they think it's cool that I share my stories. But at the time, it kind of was like not something that I had been trained to do with my climbing. Mm-hmm. But then I saw that it was useful for teaching and 
and even just help students find me as a teacher, right? You know, and that was important. And as a coach, yeah, it's a question I, I've I've always got in my head because it's like I don't know, it just can just happen. Mm-hmm. And well, and then now we have social media and things like that, which is, has changed the story. And there's always there's always actually been this push and pull that you're talking about in climbing about you know the just shut up and climb and like don't brag and that that was like an old school kind of idea that that has been a bit blown to pieces um and a lot of people you know lament that it's been blown to pieces but the the thing i sort of push back against is if you if you choose to do it but then you want to lament it totally. seems to be a bit annoying kind yeah. of thing you know what i mean like someone who's a sponsored climber that doesn't want to talk about what they've done yeah. which they those people exist totally still yeah uh not for long they don't at least not as sponsored climbers but, yeah but it's interesting because you're just like, well, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, like if it's if it's presented in a way that's helpful. And if you're being intentional, right? right? Like whenever I'm putting something out online or writing something or teaching, I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, I should really know why I'm doing this. Right. And I should know what the message I'm sharing is. And if I don't, like, you know, am I like, why am I putting the energy into it? Because I could do other things with that energy. But if I have a reason to put something out and it matters to me, mm-hmm. this is a way that I can share it. Right. And that's kind of always, and it, that's actually helped me stay away from feeling like really jaded about social media. Sure. Because if you know the reason why you're putting something on it every day, then then you don't have to like have this existential crisis every week when things, you, you're aware of the flaws of the of like the tool that you're using and you're also aware of why you're using it. Right. It just like, it's relaxing. <laughs> an existential crisis every week doesn't sound relaxing yeah no but there are a lot of people yeah. that are having weekly existential crises about yeah, social yeah. media yeah for sure yeah. for sure no i mean yeah i mean we talk about it a lot on not just this show but on the runout just how it's affected the way people interact with climbing has been kind of profound i think and that's just a, a sliver of what it's done with how people interact with each other and the whole world so yeah. i can you know it's definitely something you have to like it's like a hot coal you have to like make sure it doesn't don't you don't let it burn burn you you know what i mean yeah. so um so we we kind of talked about your gender identity a bit in high school um but that's been part of telling your story as well you know you you you're a climber and you're just going about your business you're learning to guide you're trying to make your way in in the industry as it were make a life of it when did that become something that you sort of wanted to incorporate in your story in a sort of vocal way? Or how did it Yeah, happen? I guess, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it. I think that it naturally, like, I had just really downplayed, like, there actually was, like, for a very long time, I was like, well, I just, like, don't really have a gender. Like, I'm, like, I'm just lore. And that worked for a while, mm-hmm. but it actually, like, I was having a really hard time like in my own healing process of there was a certain point where I don't have a gender was kind of like I don't totally need to like own the space that I'm living in Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really like fully taking care of myself and was just like trying to navigate that and realize that it was going to be really important to just it was like I was carrying this giant duffel bag that was full of shit you know and I just I was like, I like, and I felt like I needed to like hide that thing from everyone. And 
was like, at a certain point, maybe it would just be easier to externalize it because I was so afraid of how people were going to respond. Mm-hmm. But then I was like internally dealing with that all the time, trying to hide it. I was like, maybe if I put it out there, like they can deal with it. And like what whoever is going to be like mean in response, which at that point I had kind of realized would be less like would not be the majority of people would not be cruel. And then it's also on them. It's less in my head of this is all these terrible things are going to happen. And I'm more like living in the reality of what actually happens. Right. Yeah, um, that makes t- a complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and just that inevitably, because so much of my community is the climbing community, mm-hmm. when I was like shared my gender identity and talked with people about switching the pronouns that they use for me and and just like being more aware of my identity that just naturally was the climbing community as well. So how long ago was that about? I mean, when it, when, I mean, I, I, I asked yeah. that because I want to know like how far into what we've been talking about you were, where you were just kind of like, yeah, you know, no, I'm just a yeah. little, you know, different just or a human. I'm, yeah. yeah or, or all those sorts of things. It wasn't that long ago. Right. Yeah. It was in like, it was like kind of started in 20, 18 into 2019 uh-huh. so like only like maybe three years ago did you have people to counsel with about this change that you were gonna make yeah or was it like a, something you you did on your own i mean the biggest person is like my fiance amanda okay. is fucking amazing and she um she and i talked about it all the time and we're just like because she knew that about me you know it wasn't like and it wasn't a secret. Right, like, I would hope. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, not just with her, but, like, also yeah. with, like, my really close, like, sure. my inner circle. It sure. was, like, you know, no one was, like, Laura, you have to, like, talk about your gender identity. Mm-hmm. But if someone had asked, like, my sister, my best friend, like, hey, what gender is Laura? They'd be, like, hmm, you should ask them, you know? like, right. Like, and they even, like, my sister would kind of, like, use gender neutral pronouns for me fairly often even like before i ever asked her she's also a social worker and like she was an awesome resource for me as well of just like she had a lot of friends in the queer community who she was able to connect me with so i had people yeah but i also had a lot of people who i hadn't talked to that i was close with Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a combination of like wanting to just get it over with and just kind of tell as many people as quickly as possible but also wanting to have intentional conversations with people and then i got really tired really quickly of doing that <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah i get like... it i totally get it actually uh, and, and and it's interesting because you're you're not a different person than before you said yeah. i'm this yeah you're the exact same person yeah. right yeah and, and and it's yeah cuz i i've been thinking about it a lot since since we booked this and just how strange that is that this whatever you want to call it admission or like clarification or yeah. anything like that for some people fundamentally changes who you are when in sort of the molecular sense nothing changed yeah you Two minutes before you said it out loud, you were exactly the same person. Yeah. But it's like it blows everybody's minds. Yeah. In this kind of like almost super immature way. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I think the hard thing is like, so I came out 
to a lot of people as gay when I was really, you know, when I was young, like right as soon as people were getting into relationships, I was like, uh-huh. okay, I know that like, and actually my gender identity is pretty fluid, but at the time I knew it was different, right? right? So I would like, and in that situation, you're not, unless you're talking to someone who you might date, like people are like, oh, I don't care. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't change anything, anything with you. Like, yeah, that's information about you that I made, like I even had some people and this is not a way that you should respond to anyone when they come out, but they're like, I don't care. Like, right. how does that influence me? Why do you even tell me? You know, like, that's your own business. So people will respond that way. With gender identity and specifically being non-binary and specifically asking people to change the pronouns that they use for you, they act like you just ask them to do this monumental thing that they will, they are like, I just, it's so, like, the most common response is like, but that's so hard. Like, I don't, my brain just doesn't work that way. People with PhDs will tell me that. They'll be like, my brain just doesn't work that way. I just can't wrap my head around it. And it feels quite, I guess maybe that's partly why it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, well, I guess that's okay then. Like, I guess if your brain can't wrap itself around it, we're at an impasse. So I'm not going to like keep demanding it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like you don't need to be friends with everyone in the world. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's like, you know, getting those responses from like people that are close to people that are really close. Yeah. It really hurts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I understand the brain thing in terms of like, you know, I'm 50 years old. And so to call you, they trips over my tongue. Right. It just does. Yeah. But I'm going to do my best because you've asked me to do that. Yeah. Just like if you said, if someone said, I'd like you to call me Barbara because that's my name. I'd be (laughs) like, cool. I'm going to call you Barbara and not Jim. Yeah. Because you've asked me to call you Barbara. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, it's just a strange thing to like to, to put. I mean, I get it. Like you're a little uncomfortable. And like I said, I'm going to screw it up. But. If you're making good intent to do that, then Laura is not going to punch you in the face because you screwed up their pronoun. Yeah. You know, so it's like, but it's all about good faith and just being like, yeah, this isn't, it's, it kind of reminds me of the mask thing. Like, it's a little piece of cloth on your face. Like, just fucking get over, like, it's not going to kill, like, get over it, you know? Like, I don't know. Make an effort. It's, it's, it's wild. I've been thinking about it a lot. So I'm glad that we've, we've, you've you've talked a little bit about the pronoun thing because, You know, like I said, it trips off my tongue in a weird way a little bit for a while. And then it's like, okay, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I don't have to get super into it. But one of the first things that someone that was really close to me when I was a little kid, like when I told them, when I came out to them, one of the first things they said was like, well, you need to change that because people are going to hurt you. Mm. Like, and, you know, I was was nine or ten. And then getting hurt, you know, as a teenager and then as an adult, I was like, okay, you know, I had to really like, kind of be like, were they right? You know, am I just a person? So then when people like, are like, you're inconveniencing me or this isn't comfortable for me, it's hard not to read that as like, this person might be so uncomfortable that they hurt me. And whether that's like emotionally or physically, right? And so I think that's something people really vocalizing saying like this is really uncomfortable or this I'm not going to do that or like pushing back on it I think maybe it it takes more emotional energy than people realize because Mm -hmm. you have to go through Mm -hmm. this whole like process of caretaking for them but also like 
taking care of that little human inside of you that's like, you're going to get hurt. Like, people are out to get you, you know? And and people are. Some people are, right? Like, people really are taught to be afraid of trans people. And a lot of people, when they're saying pronouns are hard for me, they're not actually going to be violent. But I have to, like, put a lot of effort into, like, reminding myself that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a fucking tough four years, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like... Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, like this year, I think a lot of people are so relieved with the election. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm relieved with the election, too. But what we've seen, right, is a backlash. Sure. Yeah. And um, and really, I mean, like it it's like really hard to watch for anyone in the trans community, but specifically for like trans adults watching trans kids. So many states have bills. It's so heartbreaking. and I mean, these kids are being told to to go into court and to testify for their own rights. And you just look at, you know, we were like, I think a lot of trans adults were like, if we get out there, if we're vocal enough, we can save this next generation of kids from the same trauma. And we're looking at it now and we're like, well, they're going to have to deal with more trauma than we did, because at least we were able to like hide as kids more. And that's a different kind. Right. But it's like seeing them just be so attacked. Yeah. You just want to like. I don't I mean, it's hard. like I have a five-year-old and I don't yeah. know, you know, he's just a five-year-old right now. Yeah. And and so it's like, oh, no, it, it just breaks my heart. And I've been paying so much attention to it in the last month because it's really been, you know, forefront on a lot of podcasts and stuff I listen to. And, and, and it's super rough. But talking back to like when you did it, it was a couple of years ago, well into your climbing career, you were talking about this duffel bag. Was it affecting your, you know, your climbing and the way you interacted with the community? And then what changed when you sort of open, I guess, emptied the duffel bag, if we want to continue the analogy? Yeah, I was in a really like right before when it got to the point where I was like, this has to happen. It was like it was very apparent in my climbing. I've been a very focused person in my climbing. Like, it's not always like, this is my project and I must send it, but I always know where I'm going if I'm trying to, like, get solid at onsighting a certain grade so that then I can go after, like, an objective that inspires me. You know, I'm like, I, I always just, like, have somewhere that I'm going. So you never left and that high school kid behind. Totally. totally. No. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Like, yeah, you can, like, look it's at helpful. my training it's log for the fall. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I think I have, like, a really strong balance of, like, being able to set that and then being able to, like, just love on what I'm doing. I feel healthy about it. Right, so, But that summer, it was, like, just totally directionless. Like, I would go out climbing and just felt like my brain was totally fuzzy and... I went on an alpine trip and just, I was so anxious. I just started like puking one night. I was so physically sick and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally went back to flag, like had intended to be out traveling and climbing all summer and just went back to flag and my body felt destroyed. My brain obviously felt destroyed and I was in a really dark place. I've struggled a lot with both addiction and various manifestations of self-harm, which is really common if you're taught that you're not a person that's like um, supposed to be taken care of. And I had done so much work to get through that and be in a healthier place and was definitely like taking rapid steps back into those types of behaviors and was just scared of that. And I really like sat down with myself and was, what are we going to do to make this sustainable? You know, and and that was the point where I really realized First of all, needed to empty the duffel bag and then figure out how I could live just in in a body and in a like in a community that felt 
sustainable. Yeah, it had definitely affected my climbing. It's sure. a short answer to that. You, whatever, made announcements and then explained it. Sounds like ad nauseum to people until <laughs> you couldn't talk about it anymore. It, but, you know, now I have evidence, like I said, when we sat down that, that your climbing came back. Aside from the, okay, I'm going to live open as this, this person, what other things did you put on track? I mean, what other, what other, I mean, if, if we're talking to people who are sitting there thinking about this, yeah, you know, what, what else, what else was the work you did? So one of the things I started doing was medically transitioning, okay. right, which involves different things for every person. Mm -hmm. But so something that oh, not every trans person deals with, but a lot do is right. body dysphoria, where your body just feels like you know, it's a different experience for everyone, but like, I like to explain, like, sometimes I would be like, I felt like I was in a rubber suit all the time, like, just totally disembodied. And, um, so there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Yeah, but how did you um, climb like that? It was terrible, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, were you able to, were you able to focus away from that? Sometimes. When you climb, but yeah, it sounds like it would have been really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And, um, yeah, totally. So you made some changes. Yeah. To they, try to, to yeah. try to make yourself feel at home and, and yeah. in your meat sack. Yeah, totally. You and it, I mean, that's so huge, right? Cause mm -hmm. that was really scary for me in climbing. You know, one of the things that for instance, like taking hormones does, if you're trans masculine, it like you put on a lot of weight really quickly mm -hmm. and some of it's muscle mass, right? Like something like. But it's definitely not the type of muscle mass you like want as a climber. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden your fingers get super strong right. or like you can bench a bunch. It's like you can probably like squat more, right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, maybe you can like lift more heavy shit. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really scared about doing that. But ultimately it was just like I was like, you know, I got to just trust that whatever body I end up in is just going to be able to rock climb whatever mm -hmm. grade it can. And it's also going to be able to like live for the next many years. Right. Which like maybe wasn't the case with the body I was in before. And so that was scary for me, but just like doubled down on my training for climbing, like got really like made sure I just stayed psyched and like kept things in perspective. And ultimately like feeling at home in your body, it like climbing is such, it's like dancing, right? Like you have to know where your body is and mm -hmm. be able to like tune into it and listen to your intuition about how to move. And I felt so much more aware of what my body was doing. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I wasn't trying to just like get as much distance from it all the time as possible. So that made a big difference in my climbing, honestly, just, and I, I had, you know, I had to get used to like, and I mean, I'm a small person. It wasn't like my body changed dramatically. No, you're not, but, I'm not looking across it like yeah. gym bro. Totally, yeah. Like you also have to like do other things. Like, sure. like taking, I think that's something that like people when they're talking about hormones and they're thinking right, about transition, right, right, right. you're not taking steroids. Right. Like you're not like just like getting jacked, right? It's like the changes are subtle. And it like, for me, it wasn't even like trying to get to the opposite gender. Like there's def different ways you can affirm it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, I'm definitely not like, all of a sudden this like jacked human but it did ch really change like the way i saw my body and the way i held myself and just my ability to feel comfortable in my skin mm -hmm. so that was huge for me right yeah so you've i mean you made this choice and now you're you know at least 
social media wise and, and I think some of the work you're doing, you are an advocate. You are thinking about these kids um out there who who are, are going through the same, you know, painful school experience or whatever happens to be that you did. Is that something you've also chosen or was that you know, you're talking about how like you had to explain ad nauseum what you were talking about to these people. Is that something you chose or did it also sort of just start happening as again you you vocalized this idea or who you were? That's a both and for sure. Like I I work for I volunteer for an organization that helps queer youth specifically like when they're in crisis and so that is super intentional right it's like i'm there every week in some capacity to listen to these kiddos and interact with them and like just kind of be someone that they can go to because a lot of them don't have someone right and that has been really important to me and like so that's really intentional and I'm in grad school right now. I'm studying counseling, and which has been really cool. I've been able to like integrate a lot of body-based counseling, including climbing research, into what I'm doing. But that is also super intentional for being able to like advocate for better mental health services and kind of more ethical therapeutic movement spaces, like including you know climbing is like quote unquote therapy, but it's not right. Like we all know that you can use it as a way to heal, and you can also like. It can be used as not like the exact opposite of right, that. Right, to avoid everything totally, else in your yeah. life, for example. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's all like super intentional. Um, but then th- like the, the things that aren't as intentional, like the being the first of things. Right. If there's any way that you want to feel isolated, right? Like we were talking about this feeling of being like, am I the only person that has this gender identity? Is this just me? And then for there to be like headlines that are like the first non-binary person right. to do this, you're like, mm, yep, I'm alone. Right. <laughs> like, and that's not actually the case. Like, it is inspiring for people to see that, but that's not something I would say that I've done super intentionally. Mm-hmm. But I well, think I've yeah. started to, yeah. yeah, I've started to grow into it. Of seeing, I got to run this rad meetup group the other day. I was teaching a, a Warriors Way clinic at a gym, and they asked me to run a meetup for the queer community at the gym after it was so rad we had like one person who came and we were going around and just introducing ourselves and i invited people to share their pronouns and they're like you know i've never shared my pronouns with people before but i'm going to right now and they like you know and they shared that they used different pronouns than their assigned ones right you know and, and there was a team kid who like asked if she could attend and like she was probably in her mid-teens and and she came and she had never been around queer adults before right. you know and she got to see not only these adults that shared an identity to her but they also shared this climbing identity with her she so like she could really see herself in them not just in me you know like in right. the whole group of people and you like i got a note from their team coach later that was like she had never wanted to boulder before and she just sent her first V6 yesterday, you know, or something like that. I don't remember right. what the grade was, but like that she was just so much more embodied, right? And and confident. It's so like things like that, if it if being the first of someone or like being out there and putting myself out there gives me the opportunity to be a part of community building and a part of those spaces, then it's worth it. It wouldn't be worth it if it was just like 
some headline that was giving me like I don't need that that kind of publicity isn't sure, like sure. what I actually well, want. Well, you don't. But... That's thrust upon you. Yeah, I mean, and there's that's no okay. doubt about it. Yeah. yeah, you know, back to my comment that that you know, on a molecular level, you were the same person. Totally from from before and after. Yeah. You know, it's also like as a climber, you know, you're talking about some physical changes, but we, we all have those. Yeah. You know, deciding on what we want to do if we were going to start eating you know, terrible food and yeah. way too much of it where our bodies are going to change. Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing that I understand this resistance to be the first of this and like to, to have that identity thrust upon you because again, you're the same climber you were, your same intentions, same motivations. Yeah. And so speaking of that, like what, what is, what is like now, you know, your sort of dream future climbing not necessarily specific goals, but what do you see yourself doing in climbing? Are you going to keep attacking these difficult trad routes, kind of sports style, or where you work them, or you know, alpine climbing? What's it look like for you? Do you think? Yeah, there's like a couple very specific cracks that I'm just like, you know, I have like pictures of them in. I, I used to have pictures in my apartment I'm in a van now. So I, I it's like, one under a bridge in Britain somewhere or in, in England somewhere. <laughs> totally the under yeah, the underneath <laughs> the bridge one is definitely on the list for sure. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I think like I really enjoy like single pitch crack projecting. I sure. think it's really fun. It's probably like my biggest type one fun style of climbing. Mm -hmm. But I also this past fall had a project in Arizona that. It was like a, it was a five pitch like route that was pre like all the pitches basically were at my limit and mm -hmm. it was so fun to like work each pitch and then put it all together. And I actually was able to put it all together at the end of the season. So I'd love to do more stuff like that as mm -hmm. well. Kind of like work both sides of it. And then I always like to have a bouldering goal. Like that's something, cause I, I just, bouldering is so hard for me. Right. Like I just. I don't know. I'm sure pretty much every crack climber that can, unless you like have a bouldering background, if you're someone that mostly trad climbs, mm -hmm. like you go bouldering and you just are like, this isn't even rock climbing. What am I doing? This is so different. Right. Especially in Arizona, it's all roof bouldering. It's like limestone roof bouldering. Right. So I'd love to just like, that's something that's really fun because I always feel like a beginner. So I, those are like the three angles. I would say bouldering is more like, just because I think it's, hilarious mm -hmm. and i can see a lot of improvement from it but mostly like steep splitter cracks and then longer stuff that lets me put all the steep splitter cracks together and do like big days out of those right less psyched on alpine climbing just i think i'm just not around it as much because right. i live in the desert um really like like going and exploring in the desert and finding long things there and what do you expect from your uh sort of place in the community going forward you you said what it was two now almost three years ago um that you sort of i don't know is it is coming out the right the right way to put it that sounds more like a, a like a coming out of the closet kind of thing but totally yeah. um i i've thought of it as like peeking my head out of the uh, shell okay like if you like think of i've heard someone um jacob tobias a writer who was writing about it and they they said they're like it's like a snail mm -hmm. you're like a cute garden snail that like pokes your head out and then back in and back right. in so you can say like you started coming out right, right? like three years ago you know but not i mean what, what i guess what i'm asking is like is this something you hope to continue 
sort of advocating and climbing and maybe growing that role um, mm-hmm. as you go forward? Yeah, definitely in climbing. You know, I think like it's just it's important to me because I think we have the most power to change our own community mm-hmm. rather than like going out and trying to fix other communities. It's like we should just start at home. I think there is some defensiveness around wanting like people asking the climbing community to change because they're like, is the climbing community really that bad? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, we're just asking our own community to change. Right. It's like, it'd be like if you're at the dinner table with your parents and they say something problematic and you're like, yo, don't say that. Or you're like, correct them. And then they're, they're like, but the neighbors across the street say such worse things. And you're like, yeah, but we right. can still be better. Right. And right. I think of that with the climbing community. It's like, I don't actually care if like other sports are less inclusive. Mm-hmm. I like when we're advocating for change, it's just because this is our community and we want it to be the best that it can be because I mean, I care about being in the climbing community and I want to be proud of it. So I definitely think I'll keep like pushing for change in the climbing community. And then also I'm excited, you know, actually working with the Warriors way and then doing like this grad school thing we've had, we're having more opportunities to use climbing as a resource for mental training and mental health with groups of people that aren't climbers Mm -hmm. and even like kind of coach outside of the climbing realm. Sure. And so we're just like, I think there are a lot of issues in the queer community and just in a lot of populations that have experienced trauma that can't be solved just through rock climbing. And come so, on, yeah, I know. Come on, <laughs> but I don't, like. Don't so I definitely dare say that. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. cures everything. <laughs> it cures everything for sure. If you just if you just climb hard enough right. and yeah. for long enough, exactly. If yeah. you don't, if it hasn't cured you yet, it's just because you haven't climbed hard enough, right? Or long exactly. enough. <laughs> um, but I like. I'm excited to work in those lanes too. I think it's important to me. Like, I love climbing, and I it is a big part of my life. Like, I don't only want to work through climbing. You know, and, and that's not the only way I do connect with people right now. So it's definitely going to continue to be a huge part of my life. I just want to make sure that, like, I continue to grow in ways outside of climbing as well. All right, folks, thanks for listening. And thank you so much to Lore for sitting down with a relative stranger and uh, being so open about their struggles. As is often the case with the Enormacast, I left the interview feeling better, feeling like I had sort of made a friend and that I would like to get to know this person a lot better. And actually, Lore and I have some similar crack objectives, so hopefully we can meet up in the fall when things cool off again. And in the meantime, it's summertime, which means if you're going to Lander for the climbing festival on the uh, 15th, I think is when it starts, 15th of July, see you there. Still planning on heading up there. And finally, let this podcast be a lesson to us all. We don't know what that person climbing next to us has gone through recently or in their life. So the best thing to do is approach them with kindness, which can be hard at our crowded crags these days, but maybe like Laura and I, you'll make a new friend. Sounds corny, but wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Be careful out there and check your knots. 
Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering.